Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Together We Stand's podcast. I'm Sethi Fernandez, and I am very happy to be here today. Um, Today is my middle son's birthday, so I just want to say happy birthday, Sadiq. He's turning nine today, and I'm feeling pretty blessed, and I'm a lucky mama. Um, So today we have a pretty intense show. Um, I am going to be speaking with uh, two people who are local to me in the Bay Area, um, and they are involved either personally um, through family or part of a coalition um, seeking justice on two cases. Um, So we're going to be discussing the Diallo Neal case um, with his mother, Gilda Baker, and then we're going to be speaking to Oscar Salinas regarding um, the Alex Nieto case. And um, I'm really happy to be having each of them here today. Um, it's going to be a little bit intense, and um, but necessary. You know, we have a whole long, long, long list of people who have died at the hands of police. Uh, in the Bay Area, and I know that is true, sadly, across the country, and I think that it's vital that we give the voices of these families um, every chance they can to speak up. Um, A lot of cases just nobody knows about because they aren't getting mainstream media coverage, and they don't have high-powered attorneys clamoring after them, and so part of our mission at Together We Stand is to uh, try to help those families particularly and to uh, let their voices be heard and um, we put all that we can behind them. So I'm going to welcome on our guests now. Um, let's see, Oscar, can you hear me? Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, welcome. Welcome to the show. And I'm going to bring in um, Gilda Baker as well. Gilda, are you there? Hello? Gilda? Hello? Hi, who do I have? Hello? You have Oscar here. Hi, Oscar. Hi, Gilda, are you on with us? No, I guess we don't have her yet. So, um, Oscar, why don't you um, introduce yourself and and tell us um, uh, about Alex Nieto's case? Sure. Um, Again, so my name is Oscar Salinas. I'm part of the Alex Nieto Coalition. Um, Alex Nieto was a friend of mine. Uh, in the community here in San Francisco. Um, He was born and raised in the uh, Bernal Heights slash Mission District. And on March 21st, 2014, um, Alex was up at Bernal Heights, which is a um, hill uh, that he used to go to pretty much all his life. Um, This hill 
is a hill that oversees pretty much all of San Francisco. So you have a lot of neighbors. You have a lot of people from the city. You even have tourists that go up there. Um, you have a lot of people walking your dogs up there. It's just a beautiful, serene place to be able to have your lunch and, and look over the city. Um, Alex Nieto was uh, 28 years old, and he actually uh, was a security guard at a club called El Toro on San Bruno Avenue in San Francisco. Uh, he had been a security guard there for a few years, and uh, he was about to start his shift a few hours later. But what normally who he would do is go up to Bruno Heights, have uh, some food before he would go to work. So this particular uh, evening, um, it was probably approximately about 6.45, between 6.30 and 6.45 p.m. when he arrived. And he, you know, was just eating his uh, burrito. And because there are several dogs around, um, there was a dog that approached him and was trying to get to his burrito. And, uh, you know, he was trying to get away from from the dog. Uh, He got on top of the uh, bench that he was sitting on. And and then the dog continued to um, come after him uh, for the food. He kept shushing him away, shushing him away. Um, mind you that at this time he, he's wearing his uh, 49ers jacket. Uh, he was a 49ers fan. He was wearing his San Francisco Giants uh, cap. And, uh, Alex Nieto, he, you know, he's Latino. Um, so when he was shushing uh, the dog away, his uh, jacket opened up a little bit and he had a taser because that was part of, uh, what he used for his work. And somebody, right. um, saw the taser. And when they saw the taser, um, they basically what they did is racially profiled him. They called 911 and said that it was a Latino uh, with a red jacket and a gun. Um, approximately within about a few minutes, uh, Alex was walking down back to his car to go to work while he was approached uh, by uh, two officers. The officers uh, came out and from eyewitness report that uh, came out after a year of the shooting said that he, once he was confronted by a San Francisco police department, they told him freeze and he stopped and he did not even have a chance. He actually had his hands in his pocket. And the reason why we know this is because of the autopsy report. He had his hands in his pocket, did not have a, enough time to even react or respond and the officers began shooting at him right away. During this time, there was another police vehicle that was showing up also to back up these officers. These officers uh, unloaded their their 9mm pistol. They even reloaded again. All in all, there were 59 bullets that were shot 14 of those bullets struck uh, Alex. From the eyewitness report, who was strategically up on the hill when he was walking his dog, saw Alex fall to his knees and while he had his hands in his pocket and fell face first to the floor. And even when he fell face first, this witness also said that the officers continued firing at him while he was laying on the ground. 
as this uh, happened. And, and a lot of this information we did not know about until months later um, because after two years and almost eight months later, everything that we've learned over this course of time is police departments like to suppress a lot of information. Uh, they'll feed the media what they want their version to be. And on top of that, right. they'll vilify the victim also. Um, and, and that's what right. we've learned in the past two years and eight months of uh, this fight that we've had for Alex. It, it's pretty... Um, it's, it's you know, it's a story I hear time and time again, and I think that um, Diallo Neal's family has has had a similar experience it's it's something i don't think most people are not in this situation understand because you know we kind of grow up thinking like the police will do their jobs they will conduct proper investigations like we can trust there's a certain level of trust that's given to them and um you know the, the longer i'm in this um work i see uh, that trust has been given and it's not being earned in um, many, many, many places across this country. And, and it's the struggles that I'm seeing um, people go through for their loved ones just to get, uh, you know, a proper lawful investigation done is is absolutely outrageous. And I think that it's really important that the general public start to understand what these families are going through, that it's, it's, it's not a, you know, fluke incident. It's, it's happening everywhere. Um, and people are having to fight for years and years and years to, uh, to just get a proper investigation done, much less um, good answers to the, you know, into the deaths of their loved ones. So, um, you know, I think it's pretty amazing that you guys have, have gotten through this for this long. Um, so how did the um, coalition sort of come together? Well, um, you know, a couple of things that I want to also bring up uh, before I, I get into that is that, uh, you know, personally myself, I, I was guilty of believing what the media says based off of what the officers tell the media. And in right. the, now that I, I look back two years and eight months of everything that I've learned and also working with other families, it's just incredible um, the wheels in motion that begin with police departments. First of all, I never realized this before, but whenever there's an officer-involved shooting, their own police department and do their own investigation. So that right there is a huge red flag on how right. the outcome is going to be. So right. um, so once uh, this happened, um, I actually w was at home. I had just began uh, – I went back to college. I went back to City College. And um, the night of the shooting, I saw the news report, but they did not um, announce Alex's name at the time. Um, mm -hmm. but about a day and a half later, I received a phone call from uh, a good friend of mine that I grew up with that also, uh, grew up with Alex. His name is Ben Boxiera, and he told me what had happened. And 
we had already been involved in a lot of community actions before around justification, evictions, and we just kind of went to a lot of our community leaders and asked them, what can we do? And the first thing they said is, you need to hit the streets and you need to scream. You're, you know, you need to scream. You need to be out there. You need to be saying right. his name. You need to be all that. And, you know, right. we got together um, as a community and put that call out. And a lot of our community leaders are already in place for a lot of years that guided us through it. Uh, one being uh, La Misha, uh, who was part of the uh, Idris Steli Foundation. Uh, her son was killed in right. 2001 in the Metreon. She was one of the first individuals that I met that guided us through this process. And she has been one of the greatest leaders in the community for a lot of of families uh, around police killings, and we just got organized and we oh, yeah. just hit the streets, and and and, and the, the outrage from the community, because a lot of people knew who Alex was. You know, Alex had never been arrested in his life. He himself right. was a community member. He was out there helping the community. He was a city college graduate. He actually had just graduated from city college in criminal justice. He believed in the criminal justice. He wanted to be a juvenile probation officer. And once we hit the streets, right. the overwhelming um, support from the community was huge for the parents of Alex Nieto. I can imagine. So tell me, where is the case at this point? Have you been able to get... Um, an independent investigation, and has there uh, been any movement with the district attorney? And where does where do things stand at this point? So, um, you know, two, fast forward two years and eight months later, um, we have gone through uh, the DA Gascon. We've asked him for an independent investigation. Um, within a few months, he came out and publicly said that the officer did nothing wrong. So he decided not to prosecute the officers at all. Um, once mm -hmm. we got that, then we said, all right, what's the next step? So the next step was to get the autopsy report. We did not get the autopsy report for almost nine months later. And that itself was a struggle because we needed to get this information. We needed to know what happened. Um, the right. attorneys that began working with the Nieto family, which is the John Burris uh, firm, began working uh, directly mm -hmm. with the Nietos, uh, began doing, you know, filing uh, in the courts to, to get this. And one other thing I wanted to bring up, in San Francisco, uh, one of the things that we're trying to change is how these autopsy reports and officer police shootings are being released. The way it was released, for the Nieto family was actually through the media, which is a very impersonal way to do it and a very disrespectful way to do it for the family. That's the way we found Absolutely. out about this. So that's one thing wow. that we're trying to change within the medical examiner's office is that the other part that right. we're trying to change too is that when we found out about this, we began calling the Nieto family and the attorneys began calling uh, the medical examiner's office regarding this report, and they said, well, if you want to get the report, you have to pay a certain amount, $36. We don't know what it is. 
this needs to be free for the families. And the other part is Absolutely. if any medical reports are going to be released, they need to be called into the office, explained in person what the report says before it's ever released. And that's something that we're trying to absolutely. work on right now. Yeah. And that's absolutely outrageous that they're re- that that you had to wait 9 months and that the family found out through the media. That's you know, I um unfortunately have to go through a lot of autopsy reports and crime scene photos and um doing this work and I'm doing this with uh people that I don't know and the way that it affects me is just in it's horribly difficult. I cannot possibly fathom what it would be like to read that and to go over something like that with somebody that I love that I was close to um and and to have that information released to the public through the media prior to my even getting a chance to digest it. I, I just can't imagine. That is absolutely It's disgusting. terrible. And it's absolutely yeah. terrible. And not only that, because uh, primarily black and brown, you know, Latino and African-Americans are being killed. Um, you have the Latino right. community. You know, Alex's parents, you know, they do struggle with the English language. So, uh, we had right. to sit down and translate for them. So that's another factor that needs to be weighed in uh, in these police officer shootings is that we need to be helping them. We need to have a translator right. at all times ready to start translating this information for them and be able to start right. helping them maneuver through the legal system the different steps. And that's what Alex's parents has um, ha- have asked to start doing, and that's part of the work that I've personally been doing with some of the families now um, after the civil trial uh, ended uh, earlier this year. So tell us a little bit about the the trial and what went on with that. So um, as you all know, you know, it's hard to get uh, executed at all. It's only happened really once that I know of, and then that's in the Oscar Grant case. So one of the only other steps that families have is to do to file a federal civil lawsuit. So a federal civil right. lawsuit was filed uh, about a year ago uh, in the courts. Then um, the city and county of San Francisco tried to get the, the case thrown out of court, but the judge said, nope, we have enough evidence to move forward. So the the actual court case began in March of this year. It lasted approximately about seven days. Um, we began the first day with a huge community outpouring. We had several schools, high school students, um, get out of class and march down to 450 Golden Gate to the federal building um, and, and to begin the process of the trial. Um, you know, and, and the way the trials work is that because it's a federal federal civil trial, a lot of people don't understand that the jurors are actually not picked just within the city and county of San Francisco like it would be just a regular superior court trial. These individuals, right. these jurors are actually picked throughout California, 
And sometimes a lot of these jurors that are picked are picked from small little towns that have no type of crime, don't have, don't know anything what's going on in the bigger cities. And that's what happened right. in the trial of Alex Nieto. There was no Latino and there was no African-American representation in the jury box at all. So at wow. the end of the trial, after seven days, um, the jurors found that the officers did nothing wrong, that they had not um, uh, done anything with the civil rights, they had not violated the civil rights, and that uh, that the officers had done nothing wrong. They found nothing wrong from what they seen in the evidence. But every day we had community members packing the courtroom every day, which was very key because... One of the things that Elvira, which is Alex's mom, wanted to make sure is that the community sees the evidence and makes a decision for themselves. And overwhelmingly, right. the community said, you know what, these officers were guilty for what they did. And there was so much evidence right. out there that we were amazed that we did not get the outcome that we wanted. Well... You know, I think you bring up a pretty important topic, which is uh, jury selection and um, the fact that we really cannot... I mean, if we look at race in this country and we look at um, the divide, you know, there's there's a serious racial divide in this country, and um, we look at the criminal justice system and um, how uh, people of color are treated within that system. Uh, having a jury uh, decide a case um, for a person of color with no people of uh, that race on the jury is is just, in my opinion, ridiculous. I think that it's just, I don't know how we go about changing that, um, but it's just another one of the ways that the system is just stacked against um, us, and it's just, just absolutely really, absolutely. really. I, some of the research that we've done is this. For example, here in San Francisco, there's less than 3% African Americans now because of a lot of the evictions that be going on. Uh, in San Francisco in the past 10 years. So, and yeah, in the jail. at its best. Right, gentrification and everything. And in the population in San Francisco County Jail, and so what ends up happening, they end up mm-hmm. getting charged with felonies and things like that. So imagine you only have 3% African Americans, 50% are the population in the county jail. They have felonies, so they cannot be in a jury box. So what ends up happening right. is when these uh, uh, notifications for jurors come out, they're not going to hit them at all because they've been already flagged with a felony. So what right. I've been saying to people is that when you receive uh, 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 that notice from a jury, go ahead and do it because we need you in the jury boxes. We need African-Americans. We need Latinos in the jury box. It's very important that you do go in there. and You know, you, you have a lot of people say, you know, work, this, but if you can actually do it, please Go out there, do it, because we need representation in those jurors, not just here in city county of San Francisco, but pretty much all over the country. Right, right. 
I think you make a huge point there, and it's something um, I'll definitely start uh, pushing with Together We Stand. I think that that's a, one way that we can affect change right now. You know, we don't have to uh, dismantle the system to make that step, you know, to do our, you know, part and participate in jury duty is a way for us to potentially affect change um, in some of these cases. So I, I, I'm glad that you brought that up, and that's actually something I hadn't really thought of before. So um, Yeah, it's something that, uh, you know, doing a lot of networking and talking to a lot of different people, that that come up, and it's actually a very good point that I didn't even know about. Um, and now that, you know, two years and eight months later, uh, we are where we are now with the Aliciento uh, case, um, the movement we call it more, we call it the Amor for Alex. You know, right now we're just um, asking, we're actually demanding the city and county of uh, San Francisco for a memorial up at the location where Alex was killed. Um, we're working on okay. that right now, and we're waiting for the Board of Supervisors to vote on that on December 6th, and we're hoping that it passes as an ordinance, which would be law, that an actual memorial be be put up on Bernal Hill. So that's kind of where we are now, uh, That's and we're also helping other families that are going through these tragedies too. Okay, well, you know, I would love to offer the help of my organization um, with any of with any of this stuff, I think maybe we can do something in the next week to sort of uh, support and try to push for um, a vote for that memorial, certainly. Um, now, I'd like to uh, uh, bring in on our call here um, Gilda Baker, um, who is the mother of uh, Diallo Neal. So I'm going to bring her in and... Um, I'd like you to stay on if you can, Oscar, and, and, yeah, and share your thoughts. Yeah, uh, I met Gilda not too long ago. She is a very strong, courageous lady fighting for her son. I did not know about this case until recently. And once I learned about this case, which I'm sure she'll go into detail with, um, it's a travesty on the other aspect on how police officers kill the public also. Absolutely, yes, and um, I, uh, I, I'm glad that we have such an amazing community um, in the Bay Area, and we have some great social justice warriors here, and it's, it's wonderful that everybody is sort of starting to connect um, as one larger community. I think that will definitely um, make more headway this way. So, um, Gilda, can you hear me? Gilda? Star, are you able to hear us? Yes. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll introduce you then. I have Star on the phone. Star is a um, partner of Diallo Neal and the mother of his uh, children, um, welcome, Star. Thank you for coming on today. Hello. Can you speak up just a little for us? Yes. Uh, good morning, all. Good Thanks morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so tell me, how are you doing? And um, 
And uh, do you want to start off just saying a little bit about the case and while we wait for Gilda to get with us? Um, well, um, to speak on what I know Gilda knows a little bit more in depth about um, the case, but um, in 2005, um, October 2010, the day before Diallo's birthday, um, he was hit on his motorcycle, so we thought. For years, um, we had thought that, hello, for years we thought that Diallo we thought that Diallo, it was an accident um, because that's what we kind of, it wasn't even a, a clear investigation. It was just, we assumed. And so for years we just went on thinking that Diallo was in an accident. And as time went on, there was, there were, Innocent bystanders that seen this and said officers were present and they seen like hello hello hi Gilda sorry I think we're having some technical issues here hold on one second I'm gonna try to get Gilda. Back on the line. Star, are you still with us? I'm here still. So for okay, years. Go ahead. Um, Gilda, are you with us now? Okay, go ahead, Star. We'll wait and see if Gilda okay, comes back on. So, so for years, I don't know we what's just. Going on. I, think... I think Gilda's having some technical issues. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so for say years. One more time. Can you hear me? We can hear you in and out, Gilda. I'm not sure. Um... Sounds like Gilda's in a, a bad spot there. Yeah, and, and her call just dropped. So go ahead, Star. I'm okay. sorry. We'll, okay. We'll just try and get her in if she calls back. <laughs> Sorry for that, but for years, um, as a family, we were just confused, conflicted, because one would have never thought in a million years that the police would not, um, would do something like this. So as time went on, Gilda had went through all the emotions on her own, being a mom, knowing in her heart and soul that something more happened to my son. Right. So... Um, as a mom, you gain the strength, and she did that, and she pushed and pushed and went to courts and, 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 and um, you know, just got it to the highest level, and they said it was statute of limitation, and it's like statute of limitation of what if, if it was just an accident? So all these years, right. one just has been totally confused on, what happened to Diallo? Why why the police never came in and, and, and investigated or told us anything? Or so, excuse me, I get emotional, but um, yeah, it's a great loss and it's really scary because you you 
you think you're protected. You have this law enforcement that you're protected by, and, and it's like you're not. You know, um, we're, we're living proof of this. And Diallo was very important in our lives. Um, we have a granddaughter now that he's not here to see. He was just taken, and it was just we're just left out here trying to figure out and trying to get justice as to tell the truth, what happened. Right. Give us a correct right. investigation, you know. Um, right. So right. at this point, um, we're very appreciative to the organization helping us and getting us this far because it has been a journey that's been going on, Diallo Pass in 05. So this has been going on for some time, and all this time we've just been majorly confused on what happened. Right. Well, I think I think Gilda. We're gonna try and patch her in one more time here and see. Gilda, can you hear us? I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? Okay, we can hear you. We can hear you much better this time. Um, welcome. Thanks for hanging in there. Okay. <laughs> trying to get connected. Yeah. Well, you know, technology when it gets near me, it so. Um, Can I just we'll say I'm on two lines? I have a question. I'm on my computer, and I think that's where I'm hearing you, so I'm going to hang up my phone, and I hope you're still there. Here we go. Okay. Okay. Can you still hear me? There you go. So yeah. much clearer now. There we go. That's much better. Oh. I can hear you much better now. Thanks. Thank well, you welcome. so I'm much for your that, I'm glad we worked it out. Ah uh, yes. I I, um, I heard I you, have Oscar. A, I love you, Oscar. I love you, Sevgi. I'm so happy to have met you both and have been embraced by you both because I have been in a fog, you know, for many, many years. So I want to thank you both. Well, we love you here, uh, Gilda. This is Oscar from the Alex Nieto Coalition, and it's always been an honor to uh, meet you and to be able to be part of uh, your struggle to find justice for uh, Diallo. Yes, and Star, I know you're on the line. I love you, too. I know this has been very, very difficult for you, and so I'm glad you're on board on this call. Yes, I have to love you, too. Yeah, we we love you a lot, and um, I think, you know, Star went over some of... um, What's what's happened? But I I would love it. I know that it's it's got to be um, terribly difficult to sort of go over this stuff um, over and over again. But I think um, it would be important for our listeners to sort of hear um, your struggle in this and sort of what it's been like um, as a mom to have to go through everything you've gone through and fight so hard um, and and to, to continually hit walls when it comes to um, the system and, and how they've just across the board um, let you down. And, um, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can to force them um, to take accountability and to help at this point. But I, I'd like to have you speak 
on just your experience um, and how and how you have kept going through all of this because it's just pretty amazing. I mean, the strength that you have had to come up with to do all that you've done. And let me tell you, I have a lot of cases come through our organization and very few that uh, I have seen the parents put in the time and the effort um, and just the blood and sweat and tears that you have. um, You have literally written and reached out to everybody that you could have um, on behalf of your son and and just your determination is, uh, you know, unbelievable. So would you share share a bit about your experience? Yes. Um, the level of um, pain, I hate to just say pain because it's so unimaginable to lose a child and be left thinking that they were in an accident, although the community was saying that he uh, was struck and killed by enforcement, California Highway Patrol officer. But my, what I thought relationship or definitely my belief in law enforcement, I had no no um, reference to to disbelieve them. So when they said they weren't there, when they said that it must have been the friend, I believed them because everything they did made it look like it was not them. So right. So uh, further egregious on their behalf, they never came to me. Law enforcement never contacted me about my son. I think that was them putting the lie in place right there. Well, if there's an accident, right. there's no law enforcement to to be involved. But right. I found out later after doing all the research that they were supposed to come to my home and tell me that my son had died and, of course, tell me of their involvement. But right. what they did was let us let us just go away, not knowing anything. And even after questioning for years, we said must have been an accident. We went away. They weren't involved. The community must not have seen what they saw. You know, the whole nine yards in terms of exploitation of grief is what it was. And so for years, um, I believed them, but something kept eating at me that I didn't have enough information about someone who was so loved and so important in our lives, my grandkids' father, mm-hmm. my son, my son's brother, and he was loved. He was he was so important to every decision we made in this family. So it right. just kept bothering me. And I, well, Attorney Burris did have um, a private investigator look at it, but it, it still had to have been an accident because an attorney wouldn't take it. That was my frame of mind. Right. Right. We weren't involved because of what they said and did. The attorney wouldn't take the case. The police couldn't be involved. That was the way I thought. 
Right. But when I thought about this black bag that had been brought to my house, I went to, to retrieve it because when it was brought to me, I was told it was my son's clothing. That was my only focus, clothing. So right. didn't realize there was other items in the bag. Even when handling the bag, taking it to the basement, didn't know. I, I can't describe to you the disconnect, the mental disconnect when you lose someone. Right. What to do, how to. So I, I went and got that bag, looked through it, and I discovered, take, which I already had the uh, private investigator's report. But none of it made sense to me. You can't expect a mother to rationalize any of it at the time. But anyway, so I looked and I found the the uh, private investigator's report, the police report, the footage of the area where my son was killed, and witnesses' verbal uh, recordings, and nothing prepares you for that. People describing how my son died and watching him take his last breath. Those recordings brought it because reading it, not getting the help you're supposed to get, just, well, it spent me in a different direction. You know, you look for ways to hold on to something. But as I started to listen my doctor had to take me off of listening to that stuff. My doctor had to make me stop reading the coroner's report because it was affecting me in such a negative way. So what I did do to try and make sense of what was going on, I started to write. And I wrote to every level of law enforcement from the Department of Justice, Citizens Police Review Board, And in each case, I was basically ignored. So I went on to write a civil suit in district court. And myself, my grandson, and my granddaughter were the only ones in that courtroom. They didn't think very much of us. So they, I think the case lasted 10 minutes. And we were out, and when I got the response, it was that the statute of limitations had expired. But I still haven't been told what the statute of limitations has expired on. What is the case? What I'm saying they did, they're still saying it was an accident, so I'm confused about that. Um, Yeah. It's been None one it slap sense. in the face. None of it. So I'm wondering who yeah, is I mean, supposed to tell me what happened. <clears throat> yeah, I think that you know, sadly, um, I mean, I've I've had a chance to look over all of uh, Gilda's files and. Um, and she's she's literally reached out to the Oakland Police Department yeah. to be sent back to the CHP, to be sent back to the Oakland Police Department. She's reached out to the Attorney General and the Department of Justice. I mean, she's literally done everything p- 
impossible to do and been just tossed around back and forth. And um, it's it's pretty um, disgusting that people are so able to just detach themselves from um, their humanity, you know. I mean, we're talking about your son here and um, the fact that nobody that you contacted seemed truly concerned about finding out what really happened. You know, it was just about pushing it off to somebody else. And um, I'm, I'm very glad that we've met you and, um, you know, together we stand along with um, Open Circle is, you know, we're going to do all that we can for you um, in this in this case. And I, I just can't believe that you've made it through all of this on your own. I mean, it's just a testament to your love for your son and your grandchildren and um, your strength as a as a mother, um, it's just, it's truly impressive. And, you know, our plans are now to um, reach out to uh, all of these agencies again and, um, and point out that, you know, the ball has been dropped. And, you know, you, you asked uh, the state attorney to look at the case and they said that you needed to exhaust all local resources you've yeah. done that and so we're certainly hoping to um, ask them for some accountability here now and um, and you know that we'll, we'll do all that we can it certainly um, it has been a, a long road and I'm, I'm glad that you're getting the support that that you are at this point. But I just, you know, again, I'm so impressed by you. And um, I'm just really grateful that we've sort of all come together. I mean, it sounds like... Yeah, me too. I just um, wish that... Well, I think about other people too, Sevgi, that... There's got to be tons of mothers like me because we're realizing yep. they've been killed for so long and we didn't know about it because in Diallo's case, there was no camera. People weren't using camera right. phones like they are right. today. So it just makes me right. think there are so many mothers like me that just haven't had a platform. And that hurts me even more. You know, that's yeah, all I mean, it's... And don't know yeah. what to do because you don't know what to do. And 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 on on behalf of the Alex Nieto uh, family, the thing that we learned in the past two and a half years is is this very thing right here, is that if you look at every single case of police brutality, police killings, or something in this case here, they will always try to sweep it under the rug, suppress it, keep the family in the dark. They'll do anything to have what they call the, uh, you know, the time for you to prosecute them or anything. And we see this in case over and over again. So that's the reason yeah. why um, Alex Nieto's parents said, 
We do not ever want to see a family go through this again because we literally had to learn along the way the steps on what to do because there is no handbook out there. There's no guidelines on what to do. There's not a book that I can actually give a family and say, here, here are the steps of once your loved one is killed, step one, step two, step three. So that's the reason why that I've made it my mission to begin helping other families, Theo Valencia family in Newark, California, to the Anthony Nunez family in um, in San Jose, to say, hey, and these are the things to watch out for. These are the things that we learned along the way. These are the contacts. These are some of the attorneys that will work with you because they've been through this before. Or these are some of the things that you need to look out for when you go to city council or to city hall. Or if you're going to do marches, there's a lot of community leaders out there that are willing to do marches with you. Even when it comes down to equipment to go down to march. I think that that's just, uh, you know, what you're doing is invaluable. Um, and I, I I think, yeah, sadly, a lot of these cases, people just don't know what to do. And, um, right. and that's, and they you know, and that they works in favor of the police and, and they sort of count on that. And I know that, you know, we have one, one case um, with uh family we've been working with for quite some time now um and royce i know you're probably listening and we love you um royce eckley she's in texas and her son um supposedly killed himself in um louisiana but there was such a cover-up and just everything that they could do to um make it impossible for her to get answers but you know she stayed determined and I think that that's the key is that uh, you just have to keep at it and the more that people like you Oscar are out there um, giving people advice and answers and you know sort of guiding them um, the better that's certainly what we're trying to do to Together We Stand is to sort of offer advocacy through this whole process because it's overwhelming for one person, um, you know, and you need sort of a village around you um, to get through something like this. And it, it navigating uh, the system when it comes to law enforcement is, is just um, unreal. Like, I really had no clue. And I think, again, most people don't. I don't think if you... If you don't go looking for it, you wouldn't know because the media doesn't tell you. Um, the police right. don't want you to know um, that there are cases every day across this country um, of corruption and 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 people dying and, uh, right. and nobody hears and about it. And we really can you hear me? Go ahead, Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about what Oscar said. That's so profound that there's no blueprint that tells a, a, a family what to do, where to go, and who to right. talk to. Right. There are there are guidelines that law enforcement is supposed to follow, and they're breaking the law every day. They're breaking the law and they're violating our rights. They're, they're sworn to tell the truth. 
So it opens up another window into how they're allowed to get away with it, even on a higher level. You know, um, there's a a police officer's manual that says the level of investigation that's supposed to be conducted uh, when there's a fatality. And they broke that law in my son's case and continue to break it daily because we still don't know what happened. You know, right. and it's like, how do they get away with this when there's so many agencies that know what happened to our family or well, to other you families know, where they've mm-hmm. Sadly, I mean, it's, the, the, the system is doing what it was designed to do. Um, that's it. That's what it I've was learned. not designed to serve people of color in any way, shape, or form. It was not, and um, you know, it, 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 it. They they built this system in a way that has allowed this to go on, and it needs to to come down. I mean, it, truly, it the system working every day the way it was meant to work from the bottom up, from the police officers on the street to the way the juries are picked to. Um, the sentencing of people to, I mean, it's just across the board. Um, it is yeah. absolutely just like correct. Just in some of the letters. Yes. But like uh, you uh, in so some you, of the letters that, you ahead, know, Gilda. they kept bouncing me around back and forth to different agencies. And that to me, what I think what, you know, I don't know who when I say they, they don't want you to be able to read and realize how how this doesn't make sense. Yep. I, it, I take it back to slavery when they didn't want the slaves to read. It was because they knew all right. the yep. stuff they were writing was across the map. Yep. I read mm-hmm. through some of the, uh, even the statute of limitations don't make sense. How can someone murder someone? And there be a stat- well, there's no statute on murder, but there's so many of them that they try to hold the right. the community or society right. to a statute of limitation. And when you read through that stuff, it's like this is crazy, you know, right. because it's, it's slated to benefit, slated to benefit everybody but the people. Right, right. Not not us. We're not included in their thought process. It's a protection. Of I guess the powers uh, the powers that be in the elite, maybe right. It would happen. Right. I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's 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 a totally different case if you're, um, you know, a white person, money. white male with money. I mean, this guy, a former Stanford student, was able to, you know, what rape right. that young lady and go to jail for a couple months and come out oh, and. You know, but but they're police officers who are supposed to be held to the highest standard, right? They're sworn right. to protect and serve us, but they're but they're allowed to kill us and um, have no checks and balances, and there's you know there's nothing that anyone can do about it. That there's a problem there. That's, That's what I mean. Unbelievable. But I will but say one thing. What? I know. I know we only have a little bit, but a few more minutes to go. But one thing I, I before I leave is that I did want to say is this, is that us people, the community, 
can yeah. make a difference. And I've, I, yeah. and I've realized this in the past two and a half years is that, you know, between the, the community, the Alex Nieto Coalition, the Mario Woods Coalition, the Luis Gonger Coalition, uh, the Frisco Five who did the hunger strike, um, I mean, because of all the community outrage, a lot of things have happened and are beginning to happen. For example, you know, Chief Sir was fired because of all, a lot of the attention that came along. Right. Uh, unfortunately, you know, Jessica Williams was killed during this time. But because of the attention, because of the pressure at City Hall, uh, uh, um, you know, Chief Sir was fired. We've also been putting so yeah. much pressure at City Hall that there's, they're talking about reforms. And because of that, the justice system came in, stepped in, and did a review uh, and, and they have over, you know, almost over a hundred recommendations. And now San Francisco Police Department needs to start working on that. We have the attention of that lead. We've been working directly with the supervisors to uh, start working on a lot of different reforms. So for the people that are at home, instead of waiting for somebody else to do it and you feel really strong, just get involved. There's so many organizations out there, even yourself. If you want to get out there, yeah, you absolutely can make a difference yourself. Right, in some way. And also I'd like to highlight the fact that we're meeting one another. You know, people of different backgrounds are meeting one another, and that's bridging that divide that was happening amongst people. And I think we were exploited in that way, too, to pit us against each other. We're no longer... We're no longer pitted against each other. We love each other now, and we're not right. going to sit right. down and tolerate other people to tell us how to feel about one another. Right. We're going to fight together. That's right, and that's what um, <clears throat> one of the cornerstones of my organization, Together We Stand, is that we want people to yeah, come together we- across racial, religious, yeah. and um, cultural lines to come together to fight this. As long as we divide ourselves, we are lessening our power to change this system, you know? And that's something that I always say is that there's something every single person can do every day, even if it's just to sign a petition, even if it's just, you know, there's some way that you can get involved every day. And if you go to our website, togetherwestand.nationbuilder.com, and you click the volunteer button. It has lots of different areas of things that people can get involved with, and if you give us your your state, we can put you in touch with uh, organizations that that need volunteers. So there's just, if you don't know where to go to, to get involved, that's a mm-hmm. visit our website, and we will help you find a way to do so. And even if it's you know if you're stuck at home, you're stuck at work all day, there are things that you can do every day to make a difference. And you know we can't, as a community, sit by and wait for it to happen to us. We have to come together for one another. I think we've lost our humanity in this country. You know, we we are so individualistic, and it's like we need to shift that mentality and and get to know our neighbors and our community and care for one another in a way that we haven't for a really long time. Um, you know, so I, I just I want to thank you both for 
taking the time to come and, and tell your stories today. And I hope that um, we're able to carry your your stories and, and your messages to many more people. And um, I'm just really grateful to be getting to know both of you. And um, hopefully we can continue to make a difference um, every day. And uh, we'll certainly... Absolutely. Um, and uh, we appreciate, I appreciate you uh, letting us uh, speak here, too. So we'll definitely be working together in the future more. Absolutely. So yes, I just want to thank you guys again, and thank you, Star, for, for chiming in. I, I see you're still on the line. And um, uh, for the callers that we weren't able to get to, thank you for calling in. Thank you for listening. Um, and um, we hope that you will join us on Sunday for our next live podcast at 6 p.m. Pacific. And I will talk to you all soon. Thank you so much for for participating and um, love to you both. Thank you. So that is it for us today. I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, Together we stand. Um, we are a nonprofit organization dedicated to dismantling racism, discrimination, and police brutality nationwide through education, advocacy, and legislation. You can visit us at togetherwestand.nationbuilder.com or on Facebook at TWS Revolution and Twitter at TWS Revolution. Again, we will be coming live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, every Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific. Coming up this Sunday, we will be having a pretty incredible lineup of speakers. Uh, We're going to be discussing what it's like to be mixed race in this country and how racism has uh, affected us and our perspective and our experiences Uh, as a mixed-age woman, I have certainly got a lot to say on that, and um, I'm eager to uh, get this dialogue going. So, again, join us Sunday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern, and we will talk to you then. <laughs>